Hello and welcome to episode 495 of Fergo and the Freak. I'm that bloke from Rugby League Project, Andrew Ferguson. You can find me on Twitter at AndrewRLP. Join me as always is the glorious League Freak. You can also find me on Twitter at League Freak or on Reddit. Hey, go on, mate. <laughs> I'm not actually on Reddit. I was just reading Reddit, but I'm pretty well. No, they, they, could, they could find you on Reddit reading, Nike. Just reading. Obviously, you, obviously you're not on there. That's where all the union fans are at the moment. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'm pretty good. Like, uh, grand final week, obviously. The Panthers into their fourth straight grand final, which is just it's obscene. Well, as, and, as I saw on Twitter, you were um, – you were, Pretty much accepted that, that was going to happen. You you seemed pretty confident that the the Panthers would get up. You didn't I, think I the did. Storm were a chance at all. I did not. I you had, I, the, you had the Storm written off about three days beforehand. I, I was freaking out. <laughs> I was ha- I you know what it was. I I was I had this really weird feeling going into that game, and I, I think it's because I'm scarred not by what the Storm have ever done to Penrith. But what I've seen the storm do to everyone else, basically, and I was I'm scarred by it. I've so many years I sat and watched the storm just get the job done when it mattered, and I think that that's what was getting me going into the game. They're a very clutchy type team, aren't they? Yeah, they yeah, can fumble but, their way through to the year to get to where they need to be to make the finals, and all of a sudden they just turn to this behemoth. Yeah, and and that's what was worrying me, and like. I, I felt like Hughes had to have a massive game, and he didn't. And then Munster was trying in the first half, but was shut down in the second half. And then, like, they put a couple of shots across Penrith. And Penrith's outside backs didn't defend really all that great in the first half. But at the same time, it kind of felt like there was – Penrith just had a momentum about them through the whole game. And obviously, they went on to win it in a pretty big way but I, yeah going into that game i was like i felt like something bad was going to happen and it didn't you would have been one of the very few who did well that's what i was finding like i had so many people going what are you talking about and people thought i was taking the piss and stuff and uh i wasn't i really i was really was like oh this game you know um and then we we got the first try and it was like okay all right. Uh, I was actually texting the Dean and I was like, a couple more tries and I'll be comfortable. And then at some point we had like, I think we had 20, 20 plus on the board. And I was like, look, just one more try and I'll be comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> so, Panthers up 72 nil with 20 minutes to go. So look, we just need one more try. Look, that's how I felt. I, I remember uh, I'm trying to think it was the game. It was the game in 2020 when the Panthers beat the storm in, uh, in the the semis, I, well, I think it was week two of the semis that they beat them in, and I, I wrote on on uh, Twitter this week. That's the only game I've bawled my eyes out. Rugby league game I've ever bawled my eyes out at. Uh, it was just such a huge moment to see that young team show they could get the job done when it counted. You know, against the reigning premiers. I was not confident that we had that game won until the ball was dead. And it was 80 minutes, and the referee blew the whistle, and I was like, "Did he blow the whistle? He blew the whistle. He blew the whistle. We won." <laughs> you know, yeah. like that's that's where I hold the storm, basically. Yeah, and that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. But um, at what stage do you hold the Panthers higher than them? And the reason why I ask mm. is 
And I don't know why no one seems to be interested in this stat, but Penrith, after beating Melbourne, have now won eight straight finals games and have become just the sixth team since 1908 to do this. The last time, last time this happened was by that Dragons team in the 60s who won 11 straight premierships. And the only team that's won more consecutive finals matches is that same Dragons side. They had 10 games in a row. They lost one uh, final in week one in 63, and then they won another eight straight games after that. Penrith are now sitting on eight, equal with the brilliant South side of the 1920s, the brilliant Bower Main side of the 1940s, and again, the great South team of the early 50s. They're in some very, very elite competition there. Yeah, because, I mean, like, obviously when you're talking about premierships, like the two premierships, there's a lot of teams that won two premierships. And I know it's difficult in the modern era, but there's the, over the history of the game, two premierships, you don't stand out in a big way. When you win three, you go into a different category. You don't stand out in a massive way, but there's not that many teams that have won three in a row or three no. plus in a row. No, you do stand out a fair bit more now, though, because it's only happened once since the, what, mid-70s? No? Yeah. 60s? At the 80s. I can't remember. 80s. That's all right. So, oh, no, I'm just saying, like, I don't even think they happened in the 70s. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think they were just back-to-backs in the 70s. So it would be since the 60s, it's only happened once. Yeah, and then the, but the, then you, you add the four grand finals, and that's something. Yes. And then you add the wins in a row in finals games, which is... Like, that's kind of undeniable. And, I mean, I would guess if you looked at their for and against over those games, that it's probably hard to beat. Like, they've, I know they've had a couple of close games in there, but they've also smacked a few teams as well. And then on top of that, you've got that streak of, like, what was it, 20, game, 20 win seasons in a row? Was it two or three? Yeah, they did three times in a row. Yeah, and then the, like, the three minor premierships in four seasons, that's another one for the modern era more than anything. And there's just a lot of things that they do where you, you, we're starting to tick off historic stuff. And instead of it being like just the modern era, it's now starting to move into all-time era. And look, they won't, they won't be the Dragons 11 in a row, but the fact that there's teams that are behind that Dragons that they're looking at maybe doing the same things those teams did is it's mind-blowing. I can't believe it's happening with any club in the modern era, let alone the club I've supported. Mate, put it this way. The Melbourne Storm, when they were cheating, were not this good. Mm. So either Penrith are cheating better. <laughs> Or they're just all time. They're just all time. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. Like, the, the weird thing for me is that you kind of go into to games and, look, they've got to win this grand final yet, and we never know what's going to happen. But they go into so many games, finals games, and you think, okay, like, this can't continue. And it doesn't just continue. Like, they – they put on performances where it's just undeniable. It's kind of crazy. And it's really interesting that we've seen the development of them um, from that first grand final this this team was in, in, in 2019, where they were the very young side against the Storm. And they got taught a lesson in that game. 
and then they come back the next year and they kind of got over that storm hurdle. And then they played a very good South team and they won a close one, you know. And, and then last year against Parramatta where they, I mean, that first half of football was, I don't think I've ever seen half of football like that by any team. And it's just really cool to see that sort of progression and know that, like, these guys could do this for the next, like, five years and most of them wouldn't be 30. Yeah. It's just crazy. That's the scary part. It's insane. Um, and the, for the most part, they're keeping they're keeping the the real core of the side together. Yeah. Um, which they've only got to do for probably another two or three years, really, to get those guys all at their peak. Yeah. And that seems very much achievable. Um, there was a uh, a story still on the Panthers, mm-hmm. but less so. Um, this was a story that came out from Christian Nicolucci Journo mm-hmm. at the Sydney Morning Herald. Mm-hmm. And he said, um, this is a couple of days ago, Penrith are the only Sydney club left, so why are no neutral fans hopping on their bandwagon? Club types say players' confidence being misconstrued as arrogance partly to blame. And I replied, media types constantly complaining about the Panthers' confidence, labelling it as arrogant, has contributed immensely to that perception. Of all the things for the journalists to suck about, they want to go out, go on about the Panthers being arrogant. And I had one reply from Vince that stood out because he said, they're not pre-pricks, they're just Westies being Westies. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny, actually. <laughs> like, look, if I've never it's, seen them... Well, look, he's arrogance really that big a deal like why why then let's be honest they've been banging on about this arrogance thing for a few yeah. years now and i don't get it like who gives a shit there's so many worse things that go on in the game mm. than you know successful players continuing to be successful being a little bit arrogant about it what do you expect like the, of all the, the things thing to gets... fucking winch about well remember it started ricky stewart started it I know. You know, and, like, Ricky Stewart would be upset of, of any team that was flogging the Raiders. Mate, he had so, a press conference last week because they did a fart outside. <laughs> he's just like, I mean, he's never happy. So, and no. he really is unhappy when the Panthers play them. And it, like, and it went from there. Um, and, and I just don't see it, really. Like, if they were arrogant, like, I... When was the last time you saw an arrogant rugby league team? Um, I'll be honest. I don't know because I don't care if a team's arrogant or not. <laughs> you know, I would I would say maybe the Broncos in the early noughties, the very early noughties. Yeah. Maybe them. It's usually when it comes to a team that is consistently and comfortably better than the rest of the competition. Yeah, you can't be arrogant and be crap. You can't be arrogant and be very good. <laughs> wow. There's a few guys running the West Tigers who manage it. Well, that's true. That's true. <laughs> we'll get to that later. Yes. We'll stick with Penrith for a little bit longer. But it just seems like a really nonsense thing, given that these guys are not doing anything bad off the field. Mm. They're well-behaved. Yeah. They're playing they good football. The they don't... They don't cheat. Mm. They don't do weird, um, you know, 
rule breaking shit on the field in mm. order to get the advantage that they do in order to win games. Um, you know, they're doing they're doing just as much of whatever it is that might be a bit dodgy that every other team's doing, if anything like that's going on anyway. It's not like they're standing out for doing something more nasty than anybody else. It's it's there's there's nothing to hate on them about, but the media decides that they can't they can't enjoy a team being successful for more than one year. So they've got to go after them. I don't know why. Like, we, we did have this for a little bit with the Roosters, not as aggressively because part of the media fucking loves them anyway. Mm-hmm. But you get people sort of – a few people start you – know, understand there's a joke out there about them being under the, you know, over the cap and stuff like that. And they did the same thing with the Broncos for a while. And mm-hmm. they'll they'll toy with that a little bit, which is about as bad as they'll get. But they still go there. You don't hear them do that when the team's not going well. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, it's weird how they've got this whole tall poppy syndrome thing going on because it's, it's fucking stupid. Like, yeah. If they were to, if they were going to do their job properly, they would go after the, the board, board members that the, you know, and the people running the clubs at the Bulldogs, the Dragons, um, the Titans and the Tigers. Yeah. Because those four clubs have been struggling way more than they need to for far too long. And yet, the media gives them all a free ride. Yeah. No, no, no. We're going to focus on Panthers players being arrogant. Really? <laughs> it's so strange. And, like, it's, you know, as soon as the game finishes, they all they all go to the fans, you know, and they stay there. They stay there for so long, like, mingling with the fans. And after the big wins, they get their, like, all their kids and stuff and their family onto the field and so they're all walking around with their kids and things like that, and they're all happy, and they, they, you know, they're taking photos with fans and stuff like that. And it's like, oh yeah, they're arrogant. And and as you say, it's not like they do any any grubby stuff during the game either. Like the Storm were trying to really uh, use what I would call call spoiling tactics tactics, which weren't illegal, but you could see what the Storm were trying to do. They were trying to rattle. Penrith and like it just doesn't work and like especially I always find it weird when people try to do it to Nathan Cleary because like this guy he's been in in an NRL environment his entire life literally he was there his dad's been a coach his dad's been a player all he knows is professional rugby league there's nothing you're going to show him he's not seen a hundred times already. And there's this, there's this idea that you can rattle him. It's really weird. Yeah. I, it's got me beat. Mm. Um, the only way you can, you can even get close to shutting down Nathan Cleary is you've got to have someone camped on him all game. And mm. when I say camped on him, I mean, they literally have to be within <laughs> a meter of him all game. It's it's such an impossibility to do. You can do it every now and then when you get an opportunity presents itself, but it's not going to deter him because he knows that you're not going to be able to stay on him the whole time. And so he'll just wait until you're not there and boom, pulls the trigger. Well, do you remember when there was this, like there's these weird things where like Christian, there was a thing of like Christian Welsh is Nathan Cleary stopper and it's like, he is? When? You know? 
And then it was Nathan Brown. <laughs> Remember when they were like, oh. the, the Eels are bringing Nathan Brown in into the grand final team. Oh, look out. It's like, why? You know? There's... And every so often there's a player that they, they're like that. And it's like, what makes you think this guy worries Nathan Cleary? It's just weird. There's only a few players, um, like currently and at their peak in the past, who have the type of um, understanding of the game and style of play that could potentially shut down Cleary more than most players would. It'd be things like Kirk Capewell, um, mm. Wade Graham at his best. Yeah, um, yeah. Oh, who else was there? Oh, there was one or two more I was thinking of. And the reason why is because... They've played a bit of a bit of um, outside back footy. Luke Lewis is another one. Um, they've played a bit in the outside backs. They're not slow off the mark. Um, they do stick when they make their tackles, mm-hmm. and they've got a good understanding of where Clear is going to turn up and what play, or not so much what play he's going to use, but they're going to know where he's going to turn up when he's going to be injected into the play. Um, and they all all of those guys have a habit of being in the right place at the right time defensively more often than not. Could they shut him down for a whole game? No. Mm. But they would shut him down for more of a game than most other players and most other teams currently do. But whether that would be enough still to beat Penrith in an important game like a grand final, i very doubtful because there's, that's only one aspect you've got to focus on. There's, yeah. There's 16 other players you've got to handle as well in that Panthers side. Um, yeah. And so if you've got one person going out of their position to shut down Cleary, then someone else has to cover that other person's job. And you start mixing things up and things start moving around, and that brings out complications, which the Panthers are known to exploit. Mm-hmm. Cleary doesn't mind if someone's camped on his ass because he'll just let um, Kenny, Martin, Yo, uh, Crichton, Edwards... Uh, Luai, obviously, to come in and do a bit of ball play. Mm-hmm. Just not all the time. Just enough to make the defence go, ah, oh, we've got Cleary out of the game. We don't need to keep going on him now. Yeah. And they pull back and then he injects himself again. And that's what he does. He's not an idiot. He knows when to bring himself into the game. He knows not to overplay his hand. And that's the skill that he's learnt um, and had to learn playing footy. There's no other way you can do that. And uh, it didn't take them long to figure it out. Probably two two full seasons. Yeah, and it, it, that's been a really cool part of watching, like, Cleary um, and his development as a player. Like, the defence you never really had to worry about, although there was that – there was one season where – it was probably a season and a half where it was – he went from being, like, a younger player to all of a sudden it's like, oh, this guy's built like a brick shit house now all of a sudden, you know? Yeah. And – so his defense has never been a problem, and it, it like every single halfback they do have to learn, like time just when to inject themselves, when to sit back, when to just boot the ball downfield, when to look for something, when you play the percentages, when you go for a risky play, things like that, and and everyone really has had to learn that, and that's one of the cool things about watching a halfback develop any halfback, and. You, with those sorts of plays, you kind of see if they can go that next step, that next step. And eventually most players top out, but then the great ones keep taking steps. And and it's going to be interesting to see how many steps Cleary takes because I think right now he's 
he's probably I, I would rate him above say a Cooper Cronk, right? But not at a Sterling level yet. And or a Thurston level yet. And, and those are you know, and then you you go on like I would have Thurston ahead of Sterling. But then yeah. I'd have like a Johns ahead of Thurston. And like when, when I say that, you're talking about really high levels. Like I would have a I'd probably have a Langer ahead of Peter Sterling. Um I'm trying to think of where I'd have Ricky Stewart. I'd have Ricky Stewart probably on level with Langer. Um I I'd personally think Stewart was just ahead of Langer as a player. Yeah. Not by much, but yeah. I I think his long kicking game um, was that th- that thing extra that Langer couldn't keep, couldn't compete with him on? Not that yeah. Langer's was bad, but Stewart's was just ridiculous. Yeah, it was crazy. It was crazy. It was um, revolutionary. Yeah, M- much like Langer's tackling technique. <laughs> yeah, true. I guess I guess why I I think Langer like if you took their their weapons, Stewart had more weapons in it in attack than Langer did. There's no doubt about that. But and defensively, I mean, like they neither of them you would say were great defenders, but they weren't problems either. Like Langer was not really a problem, even though he's a small dude. Um, he he stuck to tackles. Yeah, yeah. I I guess wasn't wasn't hugely I, I, effective, but he stuck to him. Yeah, which true. helps. I guess the thing with Lang Langer that that I get is that he probably. He was probably more competitive in more relevant games at club level for a longer time than Stewart was. No, that's fair. I'd also say, too, Langer's running game was better. Yeah. And that's because Stewart came from rugby union where the halfbacks, especially during those 80s and 90s, the halfbacks didn't have a huge running game. Yeah. Um, which is why his passing and kicking games were so exquisite. Yeah. Um. But that would be what that was too. And that's something that Stewart developed over time, um, whereas Langer had that from the get-go. Like, I, I guess the winning part of it is why Kronk is higher rated than, you know, he, like his skill set was pretty good, but it's not like he was outstanding. But he won so many games, and you yeah, can't think, take that away from him. And that, the thing that gets me for Kronk is... Um, I don't think he had a crazy skill set mm. like the names we've mentioned. Mm. What he had though was this insane ability to call the right play on such mm-hmm. a high percentage of occasions mm-hmm. and constantly calm. You wouldn't see him make a stupid call or a stupid play. It just just wasn't what he did. He just yeah. did the right thing and he was very unselfish the way he played the game as well. Yeah. Um, which is a big thing too for a halfback. Uh, that's the thing that stands out for me. I would, if you were to put together a highlights reel of Cooper Cronk great moments over his full three hundred odd game career, you'd get about five minutes probably. <laughs> <laughs> probably. I tell you, who's a better a better halfback than him? They say yeah, he is definitely better than Cooper Cronk was ever. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you what, something else I was looking at too the other day. Mm-hmm. The all-time point scorers list mm-hmm. in the NRL history, because Nathan Cleary is 
22nd on the list with mm-hmm. 1,409 points. And the reason why I was looking at him is because the person that's in front of him is probably the most common known player to play in a single style to him um, in the 80s, although he was a 5'8", and that was someone who is a handy goal kicker, yeah, handy field goal kicker, and very good support player. Scored, scored a good number of tries just that way, and that was Terry Lamb. Okay. okay and Terry Lamb played 340, uh, 350 games, and he's had 164 tries. Cleary's got 158 games, 56 tries. So he's only just behind him on try scoring average. Mm-hmm. Not by much, but he's <laughs> Cleary's only um, – 33 points behind him on the all-time point-scoring list. He's already kicked just on almost 200 goals more. Yeah, it's crazy. His goal, and his goal-kicking percentage is ridiculous. So he's also 91 points behind um, Matt Orford, who's 20th on 1,500 mm-hmm. points exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that Cleary... I, I feel like he might have kicked the most goals for Penrith now. I think he did that last week. Yeah, took uh, Ryan Girdler. Um, and like, he's only twenty six. <laughs> yeah, it's it's ridiculous, man. Like, if he plays another ten years, it wouldn't be shocking. No, that's right. I mean, if he if he's able to maintain the um, health that he's had so far, mm. he's he's going to be close to the only person possible of challenging Cameron Smith's record for games played. Yeah, yeah. And he'll, and he'll destroy his point-scoring tally as well. And I, th- I think the thing, too, with, like, I mean, if Cleary played until he was 40 like Smith did, and, you, I mean, there's only been one player that's been able to do that. It was, probably could have been another guy, but Paul Callan retired. But he was just such a nat- natural athlete. We've talked about that. Mm. But... Like, if Cleary plays until he's 40, can you imagine the records that he's going to set in terms of points and just goals kicked and I stuff? I mean, he's had 500 first-grade games and yeah. nearly 4,000 points. It's going to look ridiculous. It will be stupid. <laughs> it will be stupid. Um, speaking of Gallon, mm. one of his former teammates, I saw a picture of him recently, um, Bulldogs recruit Bronson Cherry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it's a good thing he's off the gear now. Mm. Yeah. Have you seen any pictures of him recently? I, I saw that they did the redemption story for him. Yeah. And I was I just read through the comments of it and somebody said somebody said you can you can see the veins in his arms through his t shirt. <laughs> and it just made me laugh. I yeah. will never, ever forget watching a, a news report about him working with the sprint coach and how his times had improved out of sight and bragging about it. And then a f- it was only a few weeks after that he pissed hot. He should and... come out and said, you know what? I was at training the other day and I beat Ben Johnson's time over 100 metres. <laughs> That's how fast I'm going at the moment. It was it was really weird. And I remember when he was, he was bragging about it because, like, Pure speed on a rugby league field, like time speed in a sprint, it 
like how that translates into chuck on some boots and stick a ball under your arm isn't always the same thing, you know. It helps a lot. It helps 98%. But there are guys that never get caught by anybody who don't run great the, like Olympic times, I guess is what I'm saying. No, and, right. I think and yeah, Cherry done. was, I found, that's why I found it weird when he's bragging about it. I'm like, that's a kind of a strange thing to be talking yourself up like that. And yeah, then he, then he got done, but you know, he's yeah, for, sorry. For uh rugby league players, even rugby union players. Mm. Um, hell, I'd even say AFL and soccer players. What, there's no point being Usain Bolt. No. Okay. Cause the amount of times you're going to get to run a 400-meter sprint in a game of footy might be one in 100 games. Yeah. What you need is to be blistering fast over 15 meters. Yeah, I would take that every day of the week. Over... That, that's all I look at. Yeah, yeah. Um, now speaking of looking, here's yes. a segue from one end of the table to the other. The West Tigers had a review. Oh, nice. It's about time they had a review. Yeah. An independent review, we're told. Ah, oh, cool. What was the old coach they brought in that gave himself a job this time? <laughs> oh, no, no. This this review started with um, starting at the board. Okay. And they've brought down their decision on uh, Chairman Lee. Oh, man, finally. Yeah. They've looked what at Chairman the Lee and they've said, Lee... We're going to re-sign you for a few more years. <laughs> and um, Lee then said, thank you, Lee, and then signed the own paperwork. Because I dare say it was him who did the review. I mean, who else would it have been? That's yeah. my opinion and my my allegation. I don't know who did the fucking review. Independent my ass. Well, I like I like the fact that they re-signed Buller to a, a three-year deal for a decent whack of money, like not huge money, but it's a fair whack of money. And I don't know how I feel about it, but at the same time, I would rather them lock him in than lose him. And they've lost a lot of players that have shown something, and he'd showed something this year. But they announced that Chairman Lee had signed his deal at the same time, basically. Yeah, two big signings at once. Yeah, under the radar sort of thing. And if you had signed Buller on a $10 million per year deal, mm-hmm. that still would cost less than what Lee's going to cost this fucking club over the same <laughs> period of time. But this the books guy, are balanced. He knows nothing but failure. Nothing but failure. He's never yeah. seen success at this club. He doesn't know what success looks like. So every time he fails, that looks like success because I haven't lost my job. So I must be doing something right. Now, the other question I've got, and again, I'm not making any allegations here. Mm. Is it right that the person who is the who runs the company that's the major sponsor for the club is also the chair of the same club? <sighs> to me, yeah. To me, I don't know if it's I don't know if it's breaching anything or not. To me, that feels like a conflict of interest that shouldn't exist within the club for this exact reason. I think it depends. I like, I know overseas, like in Super League, if you're tipping in the majority of the money, you're the chairman. You're generally the chairman of the club. Yes. 
And I guess you could have the same situation here, but what we're used to seeing in the NRL is your major sponsor um, not being as integrated into the club's management structure, but I can see where I can see where it can happen. Like I have a feeling that the Gold Coast Titans, um, like their board is very much a part of their funding of the club and, yeah, and the ownership structure of the club. Wasn't the Dragons the same? Well, well like I, I know the guy that owns the Dragons now, he owns uh, Win TV. Yeah. So, and like they do, there is a, a quite a bit of a connection there between, you know, the, the club. There always has been Win TV and, and the Dragons. It's only natural. Um, but yeah, it's a, I, like, I can see where it's different from most other clubs, but I can, I, I, it's also a structure that I've seen before. And, and so, but it's just different to a lot of the ways clubs, clubs are, I guess. Like, if, say, for instance, the Penrith Panthers, um, their, their major sponsor has been Oak for quite some time. If the, if the CEO of Oak was on their board, and then they get a new sponsor next year, which they are getting a new sponsor, and that sponsor come on the board. Like, how would that be? I don't know. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I think for me, though, when you've got a club that is struggling, and has been struggling for a decade, mm. and the bloke who is the chairman of the board has been there and overseen the majority of that failure and struggle. Yeah. For him to basically have himself in a situation where he won't be held accountable because he's also the major sponsor for the club is a huge problem. Like they've they've got a, I'm okay with him being there if the club's, um, you know, if this, if if he's proven that he's doing a good job of running the club, yeah, whether the club's successful or not. If he's proven to be getting the club going in the right direction and things look like they're getting better and he looks like he knows what he's doing. That's fine. But if you get to a situation where the club is going from worse to worse and you need, you know that the club needs change structurally in every aspect, in every department, front office, back office, on the field, in the coaching boxes, everywhere, you can't do that if the bloke who's running the board is immune. Well, I guess it's kind of like when in a slightly similar situation when you hire one of your club's greats to coach the team, because then when they do get sacked and every coach generally gets sacked at some point, um, you're not just sacking your coach, you're having to get rid of one of your club's greats. And that's not nice. And so if you get to a situation where, you do have to like there there just is a situation where you decide that there needs to be a change at board level and everyone agrees to it like even the person themselves you then are also potentially losing a sponsor and it's this double whammy that uh it's not a not an ideal situation um but at the same time i could see if you're a sponsor if you're a major sponsor and you're tipping in enough money into a club and they say, do you want to have a part of the board and have a say on the club? I can see where that p- person would say, yes. Yes, I would like that. 
I'll, I'll, I'll bring this up, okay? And my, this is okay. genuinely honest, sincerest, okay, is I don't think that the fear of losing a sponsor should be that big a deal. And the reason mm-hmm. for that is the amount of shit that the Sharks went through image-wise during the whole Asada mm-hmm. thing, mm-hmm. rightfully, wrongly, so it doesn't matter. Okay, their image was completely destroyed through all of that. And they did go for a few years on and off without any sponsors whatsoever. Yeah. They've got one now. They won a premiership. Whether that's dubious or not, it's irrespective. It's legal. It's got it. They've got it there. It's ticked all the boxes as far as the game organisers are concerned. They've won a premiership. They've got back on their feet. They're a regular finals contender. They've got a major sponsor. I can't see how losing a sponsor for the West Tigers is going to be that big a deal, given that the Sharks were in a far worse situation image-wise, brand-wise, than what the West Tigers are now, just even though the West Tigers are the worst team in the comp and haven't been in the finals for 10, 11 years. Mm-hmm. They didn't have a drug scandal over their head. Yeah. You know, that's... We're talking about something criminal there to some extent. You know, it definitely breached the, the sporting code. It obviously breached the WADA sporting code as well. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of inappropriate things going on there, that which companies are just going to go, <laughs> you know what, we don't want we don't want to fucking touch that. And that was proven yeah. by the fact that they struggled to get sponsors. West Tigers yeah. have just been shit at winning games. That's it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As far as their image goes as a brand, like there haven't been, there's been no um, off-field dramas with the club as far as people doing the wrong thing or any sort of impropriety going on or anything like that. So the image is still pretty safe. Yeah. Still pretty marketable. So I think they can take the hit of losing a major sponsor and they'll get another one. Because if the Sharks could do it, anyone can. Yeah, that's true. I, I guess <clears throat> I guess the thing is that, like, I wonder how much the, the sponsorship deal is for at, at the West Tigers because, like, obviously when you're losing games, you get less exposure on free-to-air TV. And it'd just be interesting to know, like, you know, if they're tipping in bucket loads of money, it, it would be more understandable, but at the same time, you you hitch yourself to that wagon, and it does make it very difficult to make any changes if changes need to be made. Sometimes, sometimes a change at a football club is just needed just for change's sake, even when things aren't too bad. Um, and obviously, that's you know the West Tigers have been back to back wooden spooners. It's been pretty bad, but. And so, and so to lock yourself in, like, do you remember when I was, I was a little bit iffy about when Ivan Cleary come back to the Panthers and it was like, well, they've got the halfback, they're going to lock him in, they're going to lock his dad in, this stuff better work out because <laughs> if it doesn't, they're locked in. Now, thankfully, it worked out for them. But when you lock into situations long term, and I mean, you got to be sure it's going to work out. And when you you wooden spoons back to back seasons, you don't lock into those situations. Even look at Parramatta last year; they made last year's grand final and they locked everything down. They're like, "This is our team." At the end of the day, it, it's not been the greatest decision in the world because they're locked into a team that just missed the finals. Yeah, like you got to be you got to be really certain. You got to be really certain. So, 
it's an interesting situation in, in those terms. But uh, I, I feel like it is more of a European style of situation where the, you know, the sponsor or the person tipping in the money does end up being the chairman. Because the question then becomes, how long do you tolerate this sort of failure before, you know, even if that's going, okay, enough's enough. Like, how many more wooden yeah. spoons does Lee need to get? What if he gets three more in these next three years? Do they sit there and go, do we really need that sponsorship money? Given that the sponsorship money is not – I don't think the major sponsors tip in that. It's not like they're tipping in $20 million or shit like that. I think it's like no. probably a million a year max. It'd be less than that, I think. I honestly don't know how much a major sponsor would tip in, hey. What if um, we're finding out? <laughs> should email him and ask. Um, I, no, you, you, you won't answer me because I'm not a member of the club. Look, because that it, makes that means I'm not a real fan. And this is the thing: I, I think that if West Tigers want to make a real difference, uh, I, I mean, look, the the thing that gets me is if you if you don't become a member of the club. You know, you're taking away revenue stream from the West Tigers. And normally, I would say, become a member of the club and vote. But you can't vote. So I, I just don't know. I I don't know why. You know, sometimes you've got to have the ability to say, look, I've been here and we've had a real rough trot at it and I've copped a lot as the chairman of the club and it's maybe time for someone else to give it a go or even just step down as chairman and stay on the board. He's chosen to go a different way. And like, I, I just feel sorry for West Tigers fans. Yeah. Um, I found one article that said that the, your major sponsor should be paying around about a million dollars a year. Okay. I, I could see where, where that would skew on mark depending on your market and obviously how good a team is because i would guess that there'd be bonuses built into a lot of those ones if you make say the finals or grand final or if you have a you know you go over over a threshold of free-to-air tv games and stuff like that um but yeah it's it's interesting it's definitely harder to be to sell a major sponsorship on a jersey or any sponsorship on a jersey when you back to back wooden spooners, that's for certain. Yeah. Um I don't know, I think I think the club can afford to take the hit. Yeah. I, yeah. Well they, I mean, now that the NRL pays for the covers the salary cap and then two point five million bucks on top of that, like no club should ever really get in financial trouble, even if no. they lost their major sponsor. The the owner of the club could just slap their name on there, West Ashfield. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Bang, job done. Yeah. You know, so it's not like they're going to be hard up to try and find someone to, to be the major sponsor and have a name on there. Mm-hmm. Um, so at this stage, the only thing that's left, because we know that what the, uh, the board at the West Tigers – club would be doing and that is they're looking at how much revenue the club's making and stuff like that so the best way if the club if the if the fans of the club legitimately want to get rid of these guys who are running the club stop buying their shit stop being members simple as that yeah um i'm not endorsing that but 
I'm certainly going to be doing that, <laughs> which has yeah. been easy because I've been doing that for a while now. <laughs> fuck it, I'll, I'll, I've been more than happy to go and buy, spend my money mm-hmm. on um, footy jumpers and stuff like that and, and memberships for other people in my family who yeah. follow other clubs. I bought my daughter a Panthers footy jumper because she wanted one. Oh, nice. Did you get yeah. a pink one? Yeah, of course. Oh, nice. Excellent. Of course, of course. She she wears it occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> I guess the kid will grow, grow out of a jersey pretty quick too, eh? They probably will. Yeah. She, she's a scrawny little thing, so she'll probably wear it for another 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, my wife's had memberships with the with the sharks. Mm-hmm. Fine with that, because you know they they looking after their fans, and they're being run properly. They're successful. Mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not going to get around wearing tigers gear. I'm not going to buy a membership to the club until they can start showing me that they're serious about changing the fucking direction the club's going in towards something that's actually successful and they want to start winning games and being competitive and, you know, maybe one day let's make the finals for a fucking change. Yeah. Till I see that shit happens. I'm not giving I've, them any more money. Fuck it. I felt the same way when uh, during the Matthew Elliott era where uh, the Penrith Panthers stagnated and I, I just wasn't interested in spending my money on that. Um, you know, and uh, Penrith have never really had to have uh, any worries about money. Um, I don't think anybody was looking at, at any money. I wasn't giving them and saying, wow, that's the straw that broke the camel's back. No, no, but I think there's the, – It I'd does make a difference. I'd be, I'd be surprised if the Tigers' um, revenue is increasing or even stagnant. Yeah. I'd yeah. be surprised if it's not going downhill over the last two seasons. If enough, if enough people do it, it does make a difference and it does send a sign. and. Yeah. I, I think we've seen that a little bit at the Dragons over the last season. Um, you know, eventually the clubs do start listening because it becomes a problem, you know. But, you know, it's it's not as financially crushing as it would have been once upon a time. But And the problem is, you know, West Tigers can't, they can't bloody vote on the, who's on the board. It's an insane situation. You just sit there and watch the uh, watch just watch the magic happen. Yeah, yeah. Um. All right. So, what else has been going on? Well, we had the the Broncos versus Warriors game. We did indeed. I did get to, I did get to watch this one. And look, the what it started off pretty like an incredible first about ten minutes, I reckon, where the game just exploded. It was fantastic, and then the Warriors just fell apart, like. Yeah. To the point where, like, it was it was super disappointing, but it it also got to the point where it's like, well, what do you expect to happen, right? When when you turn up in your biggest game of the season and you play like that, you're going to get flogged. And then we saw that terrible forward pass by uh, Reese Walsh, which made everyone go crazy and was a it was something to focus on, but. I've always felt like there comes a point where even a howler like that, I just can't get fired up about when it's in a, a flogging of a match. Yeah, it's completely make, irrelevant. 
yeah, you make you, like you make so many so many mistakes yourself that like it's just another thing that happened in the game, and it reminded me a little bit once again of that 2019 grand final where the start of the game the Panthers gave the Storm ten points like immediately they gave him a penalty try it might have been a it was an eight point try I think and then a, a penalty and it was straight away down by ten points it's like well that's it. There's the game over. You can't give 10 points to the Storm. And sometimes you just got to eat the shit sandwich. And That's right. It's, it's unfortunate when someone comes along and puts, you know, a forward pass on top of it by Reese Walsh. But, you know, he'd broken through the backfield by the I mean, time he put the pass on it. Like, and they flogged them. Let, let's just go over this forward pass. A lot of people are whinging about how, you know, why can't the bunker rule on this? And basically the way that the video ref bunker system has been from basically since day one is that the on-field officials have to call forward passes. Mm. Um, Only because it's very hard for cameras that are moving, because remember, none of the I'm pretty certain none of the cameras around the ground, except for the ones in the corners, which are not exactly well-placed to judge on forward passes, um, the ones on the sideline are moving with the play. So it's going to be hard for them to properly adjudicate on whether a pass has gone thrown backwards, even though it might have traveled forwards. We've been through this with the fly and the windshield and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. That was great fun. Um, yeah. But this was a case where it wasn't, it wasn't hard to see. Yeah. The problem was the touch judge and the referees were both behind the play. They weren't mm-hmm. with it or in front of it. Um, so they, were, they had no chance of calling. It's like it's like asking a uh, cricket umpire to try and determine whether a, a, a um, batsman is at LBW when he's standing a fine leg. Yeah, like... <laughs> what, I mean, what are you going to do? You can't see shit. I'm just trying to think of how many people in all of Australia could keep up with Reese Walsh on a trot and then hear this explosive speed. Like, there wouldn't be many in all of Australia. And no. so, like, I can't even blame the touchies and the, and the ref for not being in position because it's like, you know, once again, is it what's Usain Bolt doing, you know? Maybe get him That's with a right. whistle. Well, you know what used to fix this? Yeah. Having two refs on the field. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a good uh-huh. idea, actually. Maybe we should do that, hey? So my my concern now is, look, at the end of the day, there's nothing we can do about what happened. Yeah. And people need to just fucking get over it because this is just the rule. And it's not the first time a try has been scored from a forward pass. Yeah. It's also, um, I'm fairly certain there's been others that have been scored off forward passes in the past which have had a bigger impact on the result. Yes, this one definitely. had zero impact on the result, so there's no point people getting up in arms over it. Yeah, we can't go asking the bunker to check this stuff because then you start introducing grey areas. Oh, so you can call on forward passes if they look obvious. Well, what does an obvious forward pass look like compared to one that's not obvious? And then you got to start determining whether one looks obvious or not. Exactly. So what, the bunkers then all of a sudden going, has that gone a metre forward or like five inches forward? Yeah. And is forward forward? What's obvious? Is five inches forward obvious or is that not obvious? You know, you know, you can't go introducing grey areas to the video referee. We're already complaining about how they spend too much time looking at tries already, and that's always been an issue and will always be an issue. 
Um, and you can't take all of the decision-making on the field away from the on-field refs. You may as well not have them there if that's the case. And just imagine how much slower and worse that makes the game then. Um, so, yeah, we just got to accept that, you know, it's a system, It's there's human elements, so it is going to have the flaws because of that. Um, just be grateful for the fact that it didn't impact the result in any way whatsoever. Um, as for the Broncos in this game, the first half hour they played this match was at an insane speed. Yeah. And they just ran the Warriors ragged. Um, yeah, tore them apart. It just on every, everywhere, like on the edges, on the wings, in the middle of the field. They just tore them to shreds. It was ridiculous to watch. Yeah. Um, I was I was amazed at how fast the game was being played, uh, especially with the the. I mean, the Warriors were keeping up with them in that, as you said, the first ten fifteen minutes. Yeah. Um. They they slowed the Broncos down a little bit there when Montoya scored, which is just around the half hour mark. Mm-hmm. But they they didn't look like they were back in the game. I think it was that made it twenty four twelve. Yeah, well, um, like giving up twenty four points in itself in the preliminary finals, normally a really, really bad sign. Like, how many teams have ever scored? How how many teams have, like, the losing team has scored 24 points in the whole history of the game in preliminary finals? I would bet it's only been a couple of times, yeah, maybe. It's not, it's not common. Yeah. And, I mean, for the Broncos to be on 24 points after 24 minutes, mm. that's going to be hard to turn around. You you might you might get them into a quiet a few quiet moments, but that's for that's four converted tries. Mm-hmm. You've you've let them get away with. That's a big head start. Um, See, so yeah, that was that was pretty ridiculous. The the Broncos ran for almost two thousand meters in that game. Mm-hmm. Six hundred fifteen post contact meters is insane, and that <laughs> oh. And they, some, of the, some of the numbers are ridiculous. And they started, like, they took Reynolds off pretty early. I think he only played 50 minutes because the game was over. Uh, and then yeah, they, he, came, he came up for the thick 15, 20 minutes left to go. Yeah, and it was a good call. Um, and then I think they brought Walsh off later on. Walsh passed. They, they kept Carrigan off for about 20 minutes as well. Yeah, so, that like... That's the that's what happens when you you play that well and you know you get a chance to take everyone off the field and like I criticised them um, when they didn't go after the minor premiership I thought it was a bad decision but it's worked out for them and it was interesting the contrast between the Panthers and the Broncos where the Panthers the only player they took off the field was Luai who's obviously got that shoulder injury who he only took Panadol. And played. I mean, why even take the Panadol? Yeah, like... What's the point? How tough is that dude? Um, but but they left Cleary on. I think I would have taken Cleary off. And it, it's just interesting the way they've played it. And it's worked both ways for both clubs. I mean, we've got the two best teams in the league um, in the grand final, which is, is great to see. And the, the two best teams by a, a margin... They've proven it in the finals. Hey, I've got to ask you a question here. Yeah. The fact that Cleary stayed on the field mm-hmm. for the full 80 minutes. Yes. But Reynolds came off. Yes. After 65. 
Which team's arrogant again? <laughs> just, just, I'm just asking, just asking for a friend. Yeah. We're asking for yeah. a friend. Um, we, all, we all know. Surely one is showing respect to the opposition and one is going, well, we've got this shit in the bag. I, I think that there's a thing with the Panthers where, like last year, their the ability to rest players it was kind of forced upon them with injuries and suspensions and stuff leading up to the final series. And it kind of worked in, it worked out for them. And I think this year they were going to do a lot of that. And then there just come a point where they were like, look, we're footballers. We've got to play football. And I think that that's a mentality. And I, you know, it's got to be difficult for Ivan Cleary. It's his son is the halfback. And so like, what message do you send to your team taking your son off the field and, you know, it, and to their credit, they just go out and they play. But it's worked for both teams. Like, it, I can't criticise either one of them now because it's both of them are in the grand final. And, you know, I've I've talked about the Broncos even when they were crap. They were a really tough team for Penrith to beat. They always stepped up and, and played well against the Panthers. So it's going to be really interesting to see who wins this one? And there's so much history on the t- on the line. Like if Penrith win, then it's three in a row. That's ridiculous. And if the Broncos can beat this Panthers team, it's just as re- well. It's not just as ridiculous, but it's pretty pretty bloody ridiculous that they would be good enough to beat this Panthers team. So it's going to be interesting to see either way what happens. Like, who do you think is going to win the game? I'm going with Penrith. And by 14 points. Whoa. And that might sound like a big margin, but um, it's only two tries. And I think it'll be a case of Penrose will score first in both halves mm-hmm. and last in the at the end of the game. Okay. Other than that, they'll trade tries. When I also I... wouldn't be surprised if both teams get to 20 points in this game either because the, the attack on both sides has been... Fucking insane. Yeah, it has. Yeah. I, I think that the thing, while I was watching the start of the Broncos game against the Warriors, and I was like, this is pretty full on. Like, they're, they're just rampaging here. How would that go against if the Panthers next, like, next week on the weekend, if they do what they did against Parramatta? And will any of us survive that? Yeah. <laughs> um, because, like, even on the weekend against the Storm, um, James Fisher-Harris and, and Moses Leota, they come out and they just they put one on the Storm. They both just destroyed the Storm up front. They had to. And that's the thing. That was a, an immense test that they had to stand up on because they're up against pretty good front row pairing that the, the Storm have got. Mm. And especially just on the edge. And they've got um, that, whole, that whole forward section that the, the Storm have got. Very strong running um, players, and they don't stop coming at you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the Panthers forwards really need to stand up against them, and they they did that and then some. And that's that forward pack the Storm got isn't too dissimilar to what the Broncos have got. Um, the only difference is Payne Haas, and yeah. that's a fucking big difference. Yeah. But if they knew they knew that if they could go toe to toe and get one better on the, the Storm Ford pack, then they know that they can compete with the Broncos pack, and we, we know they can. But it's a good test to have that they not only competed with them, but they dominated them. Yeah, it's 
it's just going to be really interesting. And it's the matchup, like I think it was must have been six or eight weeks ago, we were talking about how it would be interesting to see the Broncos versus Panthers, just to see how it worked out. Well, now we're going to see it. And, like, either way, it's going to be historic. Like, either way. And it, the, I was thinking about this too. Like, last year I talked about if the Panthers lost, it would be one win in three grand finals, which isn't great. Um, if they lost this one, it would be two in four, which is, it's, it's all right. That's acceptable, you know? Yeah. So it's not like it's, it would be devastating in that sense. Um, but I, I also think that this Panther side knows that it's got a chance to make the history as well. And, and, you know, the, the crazy thing is every time that it, it's time for the Panthers to get the job done, they've been doing it. I'll like, say this is my long range, long range uh, prediction. Yep. If the Panthers lose this grand final, yep, they'll win next year. Okay. And if they win this grand final, they'll lose next year. Oh, really? That's I reckon the the streak the streak ends this year. Okay. Why um, would you, okay? I get I for, in some weird way way I get that if they lost this year, the win next year. I get that one. But mm-hmm. what makes you think that if they win this year, they lose next year? I think if they won this year, three in a row, yep. complacency will set in. Okay. And I'm not saying they'll drop off immensely. They'll probably yep. still end up being minor premiers. Yeah. But I think they'd lose the grand final. I'm saying they'll still get to the grand final, but I think they'd lose it because they just think it's too easy. Okay. And that's a big problem you've got. To, you, it's hard to get out of the players' heads, I guess, when... It doesn't happen very often these days. Mm. Get to get to three grand finals in a row in any competition um, at any level, and so it would be very very easy for the players to zone out a little bit mentally and think, mm-hmm. well, this is just easy. And they'd even get through a few games where they'd play like shit and still win comfortably, and that would paper over the cracks a little bit in their minds that they think they can just stroll through everything and it'd be fine. Um, but yeah, if they, if they were to lose this year, that would be the little kick in the bum to get them to realize, you know, we threw that away last year. Yeah. Let's knuckle down and get back on top again. So that's what I reckon that might happen. I totally get that thinking because you remember what I thought after we won the first grand final in 2021. And I was like, I think it will be a little bit complacent. And they went, <laughs> <laughs> but they lose like two or three games. Yeah, they're, they're just going, ah, oh, we've got an extra gear. Yeah, it's insane. I think this uh, year, though, they've shown a little bit of signs occasionally mm-hmm. of cruising. Definitely, 100%. 100%. And one of the things I've, I've been thinking about the last few days, and, and look, they're, they're going to be a really good team for years to come because they've locked down all their key players. But going into next year, they won't have Crichton at the club. Um, and and Luai's contract is on the clock for the following season after that. They're going to need a couple of players to come through. And it's hard to it's hard to bring youngsters into a, such a set team. So those youngsters are really going to have to force their way into the first grade team. Um, and we'll see if that happens. Cause, because the salary cap has been biting Penrith for a number of years, as it should, 
and that's yeah. what it's there for. But yeah, it, we'll find out. Oh, absolutely. That's that's the beauty of it all. Yeah, yeah. Now, um, we we can't head off without having a look across the ditch. Mm-hmm. The, the ditch being all the oceans in the world. Have a look over in England. <clears throat> I fucked that up and then kind of saved it at the end. <laughs> <laughs> um, over in England, they've got their grand final coming up. Uh, in October, is it October? It's a few weeks away. Yeah, yeah. Which is crazy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, their their elimination finals are this weekend. They've got Hull KR taking on um, Lee Centurions. No, it's Lee Leopards. Lee Leopards. Yep. Yep. And St Helens playing Warrington. Yeah, I think St Helens will will beat Warrington because you know it's a finals game. It's Warrington. Um. Lee versus Hull KR is going to be interesting because they were in the Challenge Cup against one another. And I, I think I might have seen during the week, is Lachlan Lamb? I think he's out for the rest of the year. I, th- I, I think th- I heard that somewhere too, yeah. Yeah, yeah, which would be a huge blow for them because he's been playing well for them. So you'd have to favour Hull KR in that. Obviously, Wigan get the week off. I think the Catalan Dragons get the week off too. Correct, yes. So, um, yeah, it's it's... It's interesting how much later in the in the year their finals are compared to ours, hey? Yeah, so they'll they'll be playing their semi finals um October six and seven. Which is just that's just crazy. Yeah. I tell you a couple of other things. Um I saw, it's funny, I saw a tweet. You know when you you know when you realise you know too much about rugby league, you'll know this. Where yeah. somebody will say something and you'll be like, ah, oh, damn it, I know too much about this. And I saw the Brazilian Rugby League, they tweeted out that they were going to be the first team to play in three different continents in a year. Um, and I remember that Australia had done it when they played in, I think it was 2004 or five. They played in the, the tri, I think it was the Tri-Nations at the time, but they started in Australia and then they went over to to the UK, won it, and then they went and played in Philadelphia against the United States. Mm-hmm. And that was just the first thing that jumped into my head because you sort of think, oh, well, what teams have played in a different, you know, continent? And that was the one that jumped out at me. Um, and, and and I just was like, oh, I know too much. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. That Australia did it in the 60s as well. I'm just having a look now. Where, where What would have been the third continent they played on? They played against New Zealand in the USA. Oh, really? And I think it was after a World Cup, okay. which was in Europe. Oh, when was that? I'm going to try and find that now. Um. I don't know. It was, it was definitely against New Zealand, so let me see if I can find that one. Because uh, I couldn't think of any others that jumped out at me. Because you got, I straight away think of the weird games like that, you know? Yeah. Here we go. 19, oh, it was 1954. So, yeah, the World Cup that year was played in France. Mm-hmm. They played two games against New Zealand, yeah, one at Long Beach, okay. one at Los Angeles. That was in the Two games in two days. <laughs> um, so let's just see if they played anything in, in Australia in 1954. 
results. Just on the rugby league project website. <laughs> yeah, they played the 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 Poms played the did their tour to Australia, so they played in Australia, okay. France, and the US in 1954. Can you think of any other like strange ones like that? Um. I wouldn't be surprised if some of those um, European teams, European nations had done it. I wonder if uh, someone like the Philippines, the Philippines don't tend to go to Europe though. No, I don't think they've ever been to Europe. Yeah. They haven't been to the Americas either. So they've only ever been to Asia and Australia. Yeah. Um, maybe South Africa? You know, that was the other one I was thinking of. <laughs> they definitely have would have done South Africa and Australia. Well, yeah, I'm 63. Uh, let's see, 62, Great Britain went to South Africa. And then the South Africans came to Australia and New Zealand in 63. But that was it. So it wasn't them. I wonder if it was Great Britain in 62. This is riveting. This is the sort of thing that we normally do after we've recorded. Yeah, we've, we're bludgeoning your ears now with me, <laughs> me scrolling through my brain and regularly projects to try and find the answer to a question that no one else would have bothered to ask. <laughs> I, 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 did you I was going to say, in 62, they played, Great Britain played in Great Britain, Australia, and South Africa. Oh, there you go. And France. Well, there you go. See, I oh, what about the year? No, they. I was just thinking of it. Uh, what about New Zealand that year they played? Yeah, um, um, recently the one at yeah Mile High Stadium, Denver. Yeah. What year was that? Twenty. 20- was it seventeen? I think it might have been. Because that was they were getting they were getting altitude <laughs> six months out from the World Cup. That's right. Um, so that would have been, they definitely would have been done Europe and the United and uh, North America. But did they play? Twenty eighteen it was. So have a look. Twenty eighteen. So they played in England. Yep. On their tour over there. Uh, that was at the end of the year. Is that it? That doesn't make sense. Wasn't that 2017? We'll check 2017. Yeah, because for some reason I thought it was 2017. Twenty seventeen. That was the World Cup year. Yeah, because it, it was the it was midway through the year. Remember, it was mid season test. Okay, well, we've got here. They played against. They played in Australia. Yeah. Canberra. Um, played in New Zealand at Mount Smart. Okay. And played in England in the World Cup. Yep. 
I'll have to check that. I'm going to find out why they... Do, 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 do. Wild high test. No, it's, it was 2018. It was 2018. See, yeah. in my head it was 2017, hey? But, yeah, but in 2018 they played that game in, in America. They played in Auckland, New Zealand. They yeah. played in England on their tour there. Okay, so that was done again, yeah. Yeah. I mean, everyone's done this fucking thing. <laughs> Pipe down, Brazil. Just calm down. <laughs> um, see, France overnight absolutely whacked Serbia. Oh, did they? Yeah. Yeah, they uh, smashed them 70, I, 70 to 12 or something like that. I kind of had a feeling that was going to happen, sadly. Yeah. Um, there was a few other ref games that have been played recently. My, uh, Malta beat Montenegro 34-10 on... That was last Saturday. Um, Czech Republic beat Poland 38-28. to 28. Uh, What else we got here? Serbia beat the Czech Republic 28-16 in August. And, yeah, we had the the PM's 13, Australia versus PNG, and the men's and women's. The men's won 30-18, and the women won 56-4. Yeah, the Women's Australian Rugby League team is just miles ahead of everyone at the moment. Um, I watched actually quite a bit of that game, and they just, uh, they're just they just relentless. They're an incredible side. The Australian PM's 13 against PNG. The Australian team didn't play that great. I thought PNG wasn't – they didn't play at their normal high level, unfortunately, and it just wasn't a hugely high-quality game, unfortunately. But it's always good for PNG to get a run against um, elite players. And, you know, it's it's just fantastic for them. And the crowd is just... <laughs> like, the best crowd I've ever been in, I would say, is probably Samoa versus Tonga in the 2008 World Cup. It was so different. Uh, like, watching the PNG crowd in PNG, it must be... It just must be mind-blowing. Like, it must be life-changing to be in a crowd like that. It, it absolutely would be, undoubtedly. Um, it's one of those things, too. Be like, it's one of those bucket list things. Mm. If you've got the balls, go over to P&G and watch a game of rugby league over there involving a, a test match. Yeah, yeah. Um, I say got the balls because that, that crowd looks um, like they're so excited and so rowdy. But it, rowdy, it, rowdy full of love for the game. Yeah. Well, it was funny when the, they showed um, footage of the Australian players coming out of the airport and, like, they were just – there must have been, like, five to 10,000 people at the airport. And the players, their faces all lit up just at how amazing the atmosphere just at the airport was. And, like, you could see there were some players were filming it on their phones and stuff. And it was just, like – it just it's an incredible environment. It must be so mad to be part of it. Um and like they just loved every single moment in the game. It didn't matter what was going on. And uh yeah, it was like it's a good fixture. That's one of the good things that, that the Australian rugby league has done is bringing that fixture in. And it gives different players a, a chance to, you know, be part of a, a big representative game and see what they do against a, a PNG test team. And, uh, yeah, there's just nothing bad about it. It's just fantastic. Oh, absolutely. They've been around for a while, too, the uh, the PM's 13 games. 
Yeah, um, I think they said 2005 they started it. That's right, yeah. Yeah. And there's been 15 games. Australia's won 14, and one has been a draw. Yeah, and it, it should always be in PNG, I reckon. Oh, absolutely. Um, 2022, though, they did hold it in Australia. Yeah, it was at, I think it was at Suncorp Stadium. Yeah, that's right. Memory. But, yeah, no. that, like the whole the whole thing of it being in PNG, it's just, it takes it to another level. Oh, um, bloody oath. I, I would love to see Australia, I'd like a full Australian team play PNG in PNG. That would be crazy good. Yeah, it's it's been a while. One of the my favourite tests ever was Great Britain versus PNG. <laughs> for obvious reasons. <laughs> that was that was brutal. It really was. Poor Great Britain. It, like and that was the punctuation mark on that. Um that You know tour. what though? Great Britain, credit to them for going there and playing the game there anyway. One hundred percent. Because Australia haven't played in Papua New Guinea, the full Australian side, since 2001. And that's ridiculous. It's insane. They're just there. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you and me have, have gone, you and me have gone them. about England not playing Wales and they're a bus ride away. Like, in this part of the world, that's a bus ride for us. Yeah. Australia's only played Papua New Guinea in a full test four times since 1993. That's crazy. Holy shit. So in 1992, they played them at Townsville. And then in 2000, again in Townsville. 2001 in Port Moresby. 2008 in Townsville, which I think was a World Cup. And 2010 in Sydney. That's crazy. They haven't played it since 2010. why Why would they have that long of a break between games? I don't know. But that's something that needs to be completely rectified. Yeah, well, I guess with this specific championship, it's going to be changed. So I'm actually looking forward to this specific championship. It's um, like it, it's going to be a really good competition, I reckon. And it, it, I just they should just run it year after year after year after year after year. Absolutely, it's it's crazy now when you think too that there's more money in the game now for both competitions in both countries mm. than what there ever was before the 2000s. Yeah. And yet, in the last 23 years, we've played Papua New Guinea four times. It's a strange one. And in the 10 years from 82 to 92, played them six times. <laughs> well, that, to me, like, and I, I, you probably feel the same. I feel like that was a golden age of international footy. Oh, it was. The, the 80s, absolutely. That was when international footy, you could watch most games. Australia versus New Zealand, New Zealand versus Great Britain, Australia, Great Britain, Great Britain, New Zealand, France. Um, Papua New Guinea, um, a lot of those games, you would not go into it being 100% confident on who the winner was going to be. Yeah. Like you you could lean strongly one way or the other, but you'd still go, eh, maybe. Because France and Papua New Guinea had, had some close games. Hell, Great Britain had even had a draw, and I think even a loss to Papua New Guinea in the 80s. Oh, yeah. Um. So it's... Yeah, it was it was a pretty interesting time. And the good thing to them was that you saw a lot of players who were professional, but you never got to see them in Australia because we only had televised games from the Sydney competition or if you're in Queensland, only the Brisbane competition. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was always good to see all of these um, new faces and watching them 
perform at the elite level. That was always yeah. brilliant. I, I liked when I was a kid when uh, you would watch a Great Britain team and, and basically that was your introduction to players in their side and you formed your whole opinion around how they did in three tests, you know. Yeah. That's and right. pretty good environment to form an opinion about a player. Like it's, you know, if you, you go well in a test match or you don't do well in a test match, you know, that's fair enough. But um, there's just so much information now available. I guess it's you hear a similar thing with cricket where they talk about, like, you know, what a player can do. Like you these days, you know, England, when Shane Warne first played against them, they'd have watched a thousand different, you know, fucking innings that he'd played by the time he would get there these days. Whereas back then they, they had seen him play, but they didn't really understand how good he was. And that's why he kind of exploded onto the scene when he he got to England and it was like this fucking guy's on a different level, you know what I mean? Yeah. And blew their minds for years. Yeah. Yeah, well, that I mean, that ball that he got gadding with it, it's just, it's like a fairy tale sort of thing. <laughs> it's wizardry. Yeah, yeah. Um, there was another international game I found too. Malta flogged Bulgaria, Bulgaria 78-0. Wow. Um, Jared Samet, three tries and 13 goals. How old is Jared Samet now? Is he 39? Usually pretty good at this. Yeah. Um, 39? I wouldn't say he's that old, surely. Oh, I'll go with 35. Okay. He's 36. Ooh, you're closer. There you go. That's the I first. You got this one. I got this one. Uh, from Blacktown. Yeah, yeah. He's at Penrith Junior. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even know that was part of Malta, but there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, wait until you find out where Lachlan Coote was born. <laughs> Scottish international Lachlan Coote. Speaking of, have you been past that kilt shop recently? <laughs> Did you get yourself a spotting? Well, seeing as we're talking about internationals. Yeah. How about the mustard disgrace losing to fucking <laughs> Wales? <laughs> <laughs> so Australia's in a group with Wales, Fiji, Georgia and Portugal. Um, they won their opening game against Georgia, thirty-five to fifteen. They then lost to Fiji, twenty-two fifteen, and then got fucked by Wales, forty to six. Um, they've got Portugal coming up, so they should win that one because Portugal haven't won a game yet. Um, so that might be enough for them to hold on to third place in their group, which means they go into uh, qualification for. The 27 World Cup series, but I think that means that they'll miss out on the finals for this year's one. Good on all those people from North Sydney. <laughs> <laughs> I have I've just seen a uh, a very funny tweet on uh, Twitter. Yeah, it says breaking. Joseph Suali'i has shockingly backflipped on lucrative Rugby Australia deal to sign a $5 million four-year contract with the West Tigers. Quoted as saying, if I'm getting paid mega bucks to lose embarrassing, get laughed at, and I'll just blame the coach. Why waste my time on international flights to France? (laughs) (laughs) Well played, sir. Well played. Yeah, that's a good one. (laughs) 
is so funny. So every so often I'll say like that team will lose and somebody will tweet me about it. Like uh, I'm not overjoyed by it and and they just don't understand. It's yeah, it's nuts. Yeah, it's nuts. Um, But yeah, that's, I don't know. You should tell us a bit about what's going on with Reddit with the excuses, because um, this is this is a thing that happens when when fans don't quite understand why the team that they don't exactly follow religiously mm-hmm. is all of a sudden shit. Um, and I yeah. know a lot of fans will be sitting out there thinking, "Oh, we need to do this, or we've got the wrong coach, or we've got the wrong this," and. A large reason towards why Australia, and let's be honest, Australia at the moment, I believe, in the rugby union is ranked ninth in the world, which is the lowest they've been in quite a while, I think. Mm-hmm. The reason for all of this is obviously the fact that they're run like shit. So they've not I, been building for success for a long time. They've just been building for survival. I, I don't know that they're actually run like shit, hey? I think... And look, I'm not a rugby union fan. I don't watch the sport. I didn't watch a second of this game. I can't even tell you the scoreline. But, like, I was reading the comments on Reddit because I looked them up for entertainment. And I was reading through, and it was interesting to see people that were just throwing out lines like, we need to focus on grassroots. And as I was saying to you before the podcast, like, what does that mean, though? And then... It was like, well, we need to make our players more famous and get them in TV ads and get them on free air TV. It's like, well, that's the effect of, you know, having the game in order. You can't just say that. Like, you've got to be able to, to make your players and your sport something that TV stations and sponsors and stuff want to be involved with. And then it was like, um, oh, we've got to focus on the juniors. Yes, but what does that mean, you know? And the, any of them that weren't mentioning the AFL and NRL's influence on the fact that they just hoover up most of the football talent in this country, um, it just is silly to not look at the, you know, it's like the elephant in the room. You've you got to sort of confront that. And, you know, then there was people that were talking about class issues and things like that, which I thought was fucking hilarious because... It's just such a weird way to think about life and people and sport. Like, who gives a shit, you know? Um, and, and it was just funny going through all of these different ideas and and excuses and reasons and stuff. And the ones that really stood out to me were the people that said, look, this has been a decline that's been going on for 20 years and it's not going to stop anytime soon. And you've just got to face the fact that rugby union in Australia is just that it's just at a point where it's not going to be able to lift itself out of this situation. And this is the new normal. And that's the way I sort of thought about it. The other thing that I've touched on this a few times, you know, Australian rugby union should be pretty despondent. New Zealand rugby union should be terrified because they're both linked in a big way to one another. And, you know, New Zealand has always allowed the Australian Rugby Union to sell something big to their customers, but it's the same the other way. And when 
the money starts leaving Australian Rugby Union and the TV market starts leaving Australian Rugby Union, it's going to have an effect on New Zealand Rugby Union as well in a certain to a certain extent. And when that happens and you've got the NRL with all of this money, it's just not a great situation for either one of them. And that would be a concern for me if I was a New Zealand Rugby Union supporter, especially haven't seen the the fucking Warriors did with one off one uh one premiership run get to the semis like the the New Zealand exploded over that yeah I think there was some talk to um referring to what you were mentioning there about how Australia's miserable performances um are a very big concern for New Zealand because New Zealand understands that they are inextricably linked with the Australian Rugby Union when it comes to the the All Blacks. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it may impact New Zealand's ability to draw teams to come to New Zealand to play against them because usually it's not the fact that New Zealand are competitive. It's more the fact that in order to make it financially viable, and this goes in league as well, and it mm-hmm. always has done, is if you're going to make the effort to go to New Zealand, you're going to make the effort to go to Australia as well. Yeah. But while we're here, we may as well. Um, so it's going to be hard for them to draw teams to come to tour in New Zealand for, you know, decent gates and good competition when Australia's got the bigger crowd and all the, you know, bigger stadiums and stuff like that, where they should be able to get bigger crowds there to sort of, you know, make up for whatever crowds they can't make in the New Zealand games. Yeah. They can't draw that now. So there's no, there's no cherry there to draw teams down south. So New Zealand's going to be stuck playing um, basically practice runs against an inept team that can't compete with them anymore. Yeah. And that won't draw. Which is how it is right now, really. And the other thing is, too, like I was reading an article, I think it was about a week and a half ago, about what the Australian Rugby Union needs to happen for them to get a better broadcasting deal. One of the things was they had to do well in this World Cup um, because when they do well in World Cups, it has an effect on their TV ratings the following seasons. Well, now that they've gone so poorly in this World Cup and their broadcasting deal is for 30 million bucks a year, which is nothing. So if it goes down even more, it's just like, keep in mind, they're on the, the books for like 5 million bucks for Suwali alone. Yeah. Like, it's a chunk of the broadcasting deals. It, it's it's a really bad situation for them, and it's great. <laughs> Fuck them. <laughs> exactly. Oh, they're, they're doing great guns. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's um, fascinating to watch. I reckon, what's the chance that the Australian AFL team wins a World Cup before the Australian Rugby Union team does? One hundred percent. One hundred percent. And for those of for those of you who aren't from Australia, or understand what we're getting at there, AFL barely, and I'm being very generous here, barely exists at even a muck around level outside of Australia. Yeah. Um. So you know, they've only got to develop the world globally enough to have a World Cup and then compete in it, which they would obviously win the first time around. But, you know, 
there's a bit of work to be done there for the AFL. You got to get it going. It's interesting how people uh, think about the setups of different sport in a like a, a in a structured way where it's all got to be the same, and it's just not like that. Like, like I'm a big basketball fan and watch the NBA. I like I follow the Rockets, obviously. But I take an interest in the entire NBA as well. But I'm a diehard Rockets fan, first and foremost. And they recently had the Basketball World Cup. And it just didn't have the same traction at all. Wasn't even close in terms of the interest of people. And that's okay. Um, I think it was won by Germany from memory. I think Germany won it. The United States played Canada, I think, for the third and fourth um, playoff game. And I think the United States come fourth, but they didn't send their number one team. Why not? And it was, but it just didn't have the same traction. And mm. I think that going forward for for sport, that's something that I think younger audiences who will eventually become like the, you know, the people that do write about the sports and talk about them on TV and, and in podcasts and stuff like that. They'll just grow up with that sort of mindset of like, yeah, it's all right if if the Basketball World Cup isn't as big as, say, the Soccer World Cup. But it's there if you want to watch it. And if you enjoy it, that's cool. And I think that that's something for Rugby League to aim for. Um, and I, that's why I'm so looking forward to this Pacific Championship that we're going to have in Rugby League, because it's all the best Rugby League nations in the world will be playing in it. Oh, yeah. Um I'm I am genuinely looking forward to it and I'm gonna start um hopefully getting some free time to sit down and actually watch a bunch of it because there's a there's a lot of international footy coming up, especially mm-hmm. in October. Mm-hmm. Um so is there a game coming up? USA play Canada um tonight? Tomorrow morning? Three thirty USA time. From I think the USA uh, might have smacked Jamaica the other day, didn't they? Yes, they did. Yeah. Um, yeah, USA's got Canada, and then Jamaica plays Canada on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Um, got Netherlands versus Norway on Saturday. Netherlands then play Albania next Saturday, and Australia plays Samoa October 14. It's going to be a good game, I <laughs> I don't think Luai is going to be in it, which will be unfortunate, but um, it'll be interesting to see which players nominate to play for Samoa. Yeah, yeah. I'd I'd like to see a lot of elite NRL players who do um, qualify to play for the Pacific Island Nations to line up for them. It would be good. It would be phenomenal. I've been thinking about... um, like to Owen, Stephen Crichton, they they'd both walk into an Australian team. It'd be interesting to see if if they decide to do that or if they decide to stick with Samoa. Um, and and as I said, Luai is probably going to need a shoulder reconstruction, so he won't be there. Mate, he just needs some Nurofen. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. Just jack it up a little bit. Bit of Nurofen. Should be right, mate. Um. I, I think if more players play for other nations other than Australia where they qualify, mm-hmm. that's a different discussion, mm-hmm. um, then it obviously reduces the amount of elite-level talent that Australia can have. Not, mm-hmm. It's not going to impact Australia too immensely, but it might bring them back back in the field just a little bit. 
to allow other teams a chance of possibly beating them, kind of like what Tonga did. Yeah. And if that happens, my fucking God, this area is going to go nuts for international footy because it'll just attract more and more players wanting to play for their um, heritage nation. And that's just going to improve the, the game being here so much more knowing that they can beat the top dog. Yeah, 100%. And that, like Tonga flat out beat Australia. There was no – everyone was available. They just beat them. Yep. Um, the, the team I want to see step up is Fiji because they've got just so much potential. Yep. And I think it's time for them to step up now. That We've seen signs every so often, but they've just been a little bit disappointing when it's counted. And so I'd like to see them step up. I think Samoa's going to continue to go from strength to strength now. They've got a, a better coach, so that's a good thing. Um, it, did I say Samoa? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's going to be – Tonga's interesting because – Tamalolo isn't the force he was a couple of seasons ago, and he was such a big part of everything they did. So they've obviously still got a bucket loads of talent, but it's it's a different thing when you've got such a transformative superstar that's leading that talent. Um, and, and so it's going to be interesting to see how the Tongan team continues to, to go forward with other players leading the way. Yeah, they need to lift because they... I think by their own um, metrics, they probably feel like they underperformed at the World Cup. Mm-hmm. Um, so they they need to really lift here and and they need to win the series against England. Yeah, comfortable. Um, if, if they could do it three 0 then that would prove that they they are generally are elite. But two one would be enough. I th- I would be disappointed in them if they didn't win three 0 To be honest. I I could probably expect 2-1. Um, a lot of teams have gone to England and have, and including Australian teams even in the 90s, lost the first test and then won the last two. And I don't know what it is that, that does that, but it's it's a it's a it's a sort of phenomenon that's happened quite a lot for a lot of teams over there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if they drop one of the games, especially given that they're not going to have a long run of warm-up games and stuff like that leading into it, yeah. whereas the English players have been over there the whole time. The the conditions are fine for them. Um, the types of football the two teams play are very contrasting. Yeah. Um, so that makes it a little bit tricky to to, to figure out what, what happened there. I think, though, the other thing that's going to change is – Tonga, I think, are going to have a more skilled spine than what they've had previously. Yep. Um, which could make them a very different beast to what we've seen before. They'll still be a powerful ball-running side. Yeah, it's like... I mean, nice touches at the back as well. Yeah, there, there's been times where Tonga has run out teams and, like, everyone basically is between 105 and 130 kilos. Like, they're just and huge they're basic, the they've basically been Tim Sheen's wet dream sides. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Where, <laughs> like, the, the wingers are, like, look like second rowers and the centers look like front rowers and the front rowers look like Superman and, like, they've just been a massive team across the park. And it works. Like, it's, I mean, the perfect sort of rugby league team, really, where everyone's big and strong. Um, but, yeah, when they you start getting those 
different sorts of players into the side, which I think Samoa did to a certain extent. Um, Samoa, their side is a, a little bit different to the Tongan side, obviously, but, you know, when you get someone like a Crichton into the side, then you've got, like, just a different level of, of rugby league talent in there. Um, so I, I just can't wait for all of it. I, I love international footy. It's so much fun to watch. Because the one player that I'm going to be keeping an eye on is um, Isaiah Katoa, mm-hmm. who's the, the half of the Dolphins this year. He played for um, Tonga in the World Cup prior to playing in the NRL this year. And very impressive. And with a full season of NRL under his belt, um, he's going to be very, very uh, important to the Tonga attack. And he, he will change... Um, the way they play and and improve their attack instead of it just being bash and barge footy. They're going to have quite a bit of skill, um, which is going to be really good to see. It's a sort of change in the the way they play the game that's going to be uh, much needed. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. I I think the thing that got me when, uh, when Tonga in particular started going to the next level, it for Australia in a lot of international games for so long, Unless you got someone like a New Zealand who were really, really good at the time, Australia knew they could just outlast you for the most part. And when Tonga got to that point where you couldn't just outlast them, that was such a big step. For And I think it was a big step for everyone to see that you could make that step and it was possible. Um, and, and I want to see them get back to that point because I thought that they looked... Uh, short of a run through the entire World Cup, which was really a poor situation for them to come into the World Cup and and look like that. Um, Whereas Samoa looked, you know, that first game they looked terrible, but they sort of played their way into the tournament. Um, But I think if uh, there's a lot of these teams, if they can just get their their fitness levels to that point, and most of them should be because they're full of NRL quality talent. Um, when you can't just start outlast them and then it becomes about the football skill, then it, then you've got the game on, you know, because it kind of sucks when you're watching a test match and, you know, someone like Australia is in a pretty good test match, but you know that when it gets to the 60th minute, they're just going to outlast the opposition. Yeah. Um, that, that kind of sucks when that happens. Yeah. So it's, it's definitely stuff to look forward to. I'm, I'm pretty excited about the international footy. Yeah, it'll be great. I think I mentioned that in the last episode. How I really wasn't zoned into what was going on with the uh, <laughs> with the finals. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's the habit thing. You know, I just turn off from football once <laughs> round, the last round of the year's done. That's Maybe all right. It's just I ingrained that. in me. I don't you know. You, you get taught stuff by a team. You're like, I mean, the West Tigers switch off at fucking round four. <laughs> <laughs> T. Yeah. <laughs> Around four thousand. Um, yeah. Well, we've covered everything there. Yeah, it's been a little good bit episode. of stats, fair bit of review, bit of West Tigers there. I mean, you know, I know you can't go without a people, so I've given you a little bit of it there. Um, bit of rugby union, international footy. God, what didn't we cover? NBA. I think that's everything, hey? You said cricket at one stage. I mentioned fine leg. Uh, yeah. Um, we talked about Shane Warne. I mean, 
Hey, look, I'll even throw this in there. Yeah. Well done to Oscar Piastri for getting his first podium in the uh, Japanese Formula One on the weekend too. Oh, yeah. Did Did you watch that whole race? No, I watched the first 15 laps while I was at work. Okay. I, I watched the highlights. Yeah. Pretty interesting stuff. Yeah. Um, well done also to Lance Stroll for not crashing. <laughs> it's always a positive. If it's not him, it's it's, it's um, Sergeant. Yeah. Something about those North American guys and not knowing how to drive Formula One cars. I don't know what it is. It's kind of weird. I tell you what, I love <laughs> I loved watching the highlights in Hamilton. Just like <laughs> you know how he used to just suck all the time about shit when 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 he was right, he knew he was going to finish second and he was just sucking about shit. Yeah. And now he's finishing so much further down the pack, fifth, sixth, seventh. He's he's gone beyond sucking. He's near just quiet. He just goes quiet. Yeah. But he's like, in sulk mode. Seeing him race his teammate and some of the moves he was putting on, like there was nothing wrong with them. Uh, they were just, they were the most cutthroat moves on his own teammate. <laughs> I loved it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's been great. Um, but no, it's, that's been uh, a little bit interesting there. Not that much, but a little bit. <laughs> it's good to watch watch a sport where you're not invested in who wins and who loses, you're just watching it for the actual sport. True, true. It's amazing watching sport and not being emotionally invested in the outcome. There's no anger, no frustration. You're just going, hmm. I, used to, I did it so many years with rugby league and then the Panthers got good. Oh, no, you, you, you were hating on the earlier years. The, oh, yeah. Well, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, you make a really good point. Yeah, you, I tell you... you I'll, I'll never forget 2001. I'll never forget it. We were terrible. I can't even remember it. Because <laughs> we were terrible too. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have any players sticking their fingers up players' backsides? We didn't. Ah, uh, see. You we, had like, we had the likes of fucking Lee Hopkins running around. Yeah. I'd rather Lee Hopkins running around than someone with their fingers sticking up someone else's ass. Yeah, that's that's a good point. <laughs> That's a good point. We managed to turn a test centre into a lock. <laughs> Next Terry Hill. He was the first. He was a prototype. Yeah, big money spent on him too. Yeah. Anyway, enough of that trip down memory lane. <laughs> Let's wrap this turkey up. Thanks for tuning, everyone. Um, check us out on all the socials. Make sure you uh, subscribe to the podcast and subscribe to us on YouTube. Like everything. Um, retweet and share stuff everywhere and we're coming up to episode 500 so you know get off your ass and give us some fucking suggestions otherwise we'll do something boring you don't like <laughs> like another episode <laughs> I don't know <laughs> come on people work with us um, thanks for tuning in we'll catch you all next time